Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, I am talking with Randy, who has been a college athlete and a personal trainer and now is in school to become a chiropractor. And she is going to tell us all about her own personal journey being an African-American woman in the medical system. And she's also going to tell us all about exercise because she has had so many different experiences over the years managing her own RA while exercising plus helping others. So I'm really excited. So let's go. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, Randy. I'm so happy to be here. So happy. Can you just tell me a little bit about your diagnosis journey? So let's see. My journey, of course, with many people that have chronic illnesses, it took a while. It definitely wasn't something that was quick. I noticed my symptoms actually at age 10, and that's when those started, when I was in gymnastics. And we really just thought that they were just gymnast pains because gymnastics is such a demanding sport and you're always pounding and beating on your joints. So my coaches, my parents, my doctors that I saw at the time, they really just thought that it was just because I was in a high impact sport. And eventually it came to the point where I had to walk away from gymnastics because I was getting injured and I wasn't healing like everyone else was from their injuries. So I had to walk away from that. 
and I started playing basketball and running track. And my first year of basketball, of course, like when you're playing basketball, you always jam your fingers, like trying to catch the ball. You're always jamming them. That's just something that comes with the game. But there were times where I would jam them and I realized that they were still jammed for a long period of time or they seemed jammed and I didn't even jam them. So I was talking to my parents and I was just like, hey, I don't really know what's going on with my hands. This is just really weird. And it even got to a point where I tried to open doors and I couldn't open, I couldn't even open doors and turn doorknobs. And so at that point, my mom was like, okay, let's go ahead and find some more answers. Because when I was in gymnastics, we would still go to doctors, typically would go to orthopedic doctors. And they just thought that, oh, it's just tendonitis. You're just going to take some ibuprofen two times a day and go about your day. So I did that for like six years, just thinking it was tendonitis. So once my hands were jammed up and about this time I was in my sophomore year of high school, my mom was like, okay, this is a little serious. Let's go ahead and really start finding some specialists and going on that process. So that actually took us about six months. I do not remember the exact number of specialists that we saw, but I knew it was a lot of them. And at first everyone just saw my hand x-rays. I had MRIs done and they just thought that it was normal. I was passing mm -hmm. orthopedic tests. And so nothing was giving them any indication that anything really was wrong. And it wasn't until I went to a hand specialist who I actually saw when I broke my thumb when I was in gymnastics and his wife, who is not a doctor at all. She was just in the room at the time when he was talking to me and she said, yeah, when I was younger, I had rheumatoid arthritis and her husband was like, oh yeah, that, that is a thing. So, I mean, since we don't really know what it is, then maybe you should just go back and see her primary care physician and just bring that up to them. So that's exactly what my mom did. She was like, hey, we're going to go back and see your pediatrician and we'll see what she says. So at the appointment, my pediatrician was honestly like kind of fighting with my mom saying that, no, it's not rheumatoid arthritis. No, we don't need to do that test. I, it doesn't seem like that's what it is. And until my mom was like, okay, look, well, my grandmother, so Randy's great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, mm -hmm. and one of her daughters or my mom's aunt, they both have rheumatoid arthritis. So my mom was like, well, there's a genetic, well, there's a family, there's family members who actually have it. So then my mom just kept begging to have the blood work done. And after the pediatrician was like, okay, well, we don't even know the code for testing for RA. So we're going to have to look that up, but we'll get it done. Wow. So obviously it's just not something that is tested often if they didn't even know the code. So my mom just said, okay, well, we'll wait. We'll wait for the code and we'll call it a day. And so lo and behold, once we got the code back, then I got the blood work done and it was rheumatoid arthritis. And so then that's when I was transferred to my pediatric rheumatologist. And I finally had a diagnosis, actually seven years to this month that we are having this conversation. Wow. So you had to go through a lot. And I, I mean, imagine how much longer it could have been before if your mom hadn't been such a fierce advocate for you, right? Oh, you for sure. For longer. A hundred percent would have. What age were you at when you got your diagnosis? I was 16 when I officially got my diagnosis. And then, so you ended up being a college athlete while having rheumatoid arthritis eventually. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like? So I actually, let's see, I was quiet about my RA when I first stepped on campus just because 
I did go to an SEC school, so competition was so tough, and I didn't want my coaches to think that I couldn't perform, and I didn't want my teammates to think I couldn't either, or I definitely didn't want people to take me lightly, so I kept it really quiet just as a secret. But in terms of, honestly, when I was lifting such heavy weight, and I think during my freshman year of college, I gained 20 pounds. Mm. So just from lifting so much and exercising so much. So honestly, I did not experience as many flare-ups when I had that much muscle mass. And I mean, I believe that it's just because I had so much muscle that was taking so much pressure off of my joints. So I didn't have as many flare-ups. I definitely had days where I was fatigued or I was a little run down. But I think that since I had such a high caliber amount of like teammates around me that that kind of pushed me to just, okay, ignore, (laughs) ignore how tired you are. Ignore if you're a little bit stiff because you definitely want to be here. And that definitely helped me from making sure I took my medication on time just because I definitely wanted to always be in good shape. And I also just made sure to go to the training room, training room a lot and do a lot of rehab and just make sure like preventative stuff. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, I think mentally, I didn't think about it as much at the beginning as I did once my RA started to get bad towards the end of my career. At that point, that's when it definitely, I definitely got in my head a lot with, dang, well, if I didn't have RA, I still would be competing at my dream school. So that definitely started to mess with me. But I I honestly always thought of myself as the same as everyone else. And I just wanted to make sure people thought of me that same too. Wow. And that's, yeah, it's just so tough to be a college athlete and then to have to battle that on top. That's just amazing. Just for the record, you did track and field, right? Just in case anyone's yes. wondering what the sport was and then triple jump, right? Yes. I triple jumped. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to wonder if that affected your feet. Cause like cause you put a lot <laughs> yeah. of pressure on your feet, right? <laughs> yes. Triple jump definitely was hard on my feet. Honestly, which was kind of crazy, but it wasn't really the balls of my feet that ever had an issue. It was more so my heels. And I think because like in triple jump, now when I was in high school, it was the balls of my feet. But when I got to college, you actually properly learn how to jump correctly. (laughs) So I wasn't striking the ground with my heel. So once I started to do that, I was like, oh, my heels hurt a lot. (laughs) And I, the only other thing that I had was like shin splints. But the balls of my feet, surprisingly, I think maybe because of learning to jump correctly, then the balls of my feet were definitely saved. That's great. Yeah, my balls of my feet, just through my daily activities or swing dancing, those are the ones that have hurt more than the heel. But Mm -hmm. I can see how with the mechanics of how you're jumping Mm -hmm. and running, that that could affect the heel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that must have been really hard. When you ended your college career, how, how many years into college were you? I started freshman year. I only got to compete two meets, and then I injured my ankle. And then once I injured my ankle, I, I actually was misdiagnosed for a little bit of what the injury was. Mm-hmm. So I think, well, actually, I was misdiagnosed for, honestly, like a year that we thought that it was something, and that that's what it ended up not being. So by the time I was misdiagnosed for that long, like even in the meantime, I thought that the injury was resolved. So I came back my second year, I started training in the fall and I realized my ankle, oh, this really, this still really hurts. So then we went through the process all over again. And so it was the, it was around Christmas time of my second year. So my sophomore year that I had surgery. So at that point I had only gotten to compete two meets. And then after that surgery, I had to walk away. 
from the sport. Oh, I'm sorry. That's so disappointing when you worked so hard. Yeah, it definitely was disappointing. And I definitely was super upset because I walked away from gymnastics also. But I think my coach, definitely, he enjoyed having me around the team and they become like your family. So he allowed me to just be a volunteer coach. And so I got to stay around for my final year of college. So it was, it was amazing. I loved, I loved the transition of like the athlete Randy and then like the new freshman were calling me coach Randy. So that just made me really happy. That's such a great example of how like, you know, due to rheumatoid arthritis or any other additional injury or illness, like you can, it might affect your ability to participate in the things that you value, but you can find like a different way potentially. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think yeah. for me, I was a division yeah. three soccer player. So nowhere near as the same mm-hmm. caliber as you, but the team aspect <laughs> and the social aspect is something I think people who aren't athletes don't always understand like it's not just about the sport it's about that yeah it's like your family it is your family it's like your identity it's just it's what you've worked so hard for so yeah it becomes a part of you a big part of you yeah I'm wondering how did you decide on becoming a personal trainer and then now pursuing chiropractic school so this is actually one of like my favorite questions with I'll start with personal training because during my Last year of college, that was when, of course, my RA got really, really bad. And so I was flaring really bad, and I was 600 miles away from home, so I was just miserable. And that was the point where we were switching medications and trying to find something new. Mm -hmm. And so I really was just – it was one of the lowest points of my life because I lost 20 pounds in one month, and I just was really sick. And it was just not – it was not a good time at all. And so so once I finally found that new medication – I wanted to then start working out again because, I mean, being an athlete, that was something I did all the time. So I wanted to become that athlete again. Mm-hmm. And I started working out thinking that I could just jump back into it. <laughs> like how the level I was at my freshman year, I really thought, oh, I can do that. No, <laughs> absolutely could not. <laughs> it definitely humbled myself. And I was like, hey, you're not, you're not at the same level you were at, but that doesn't mean that you can't get to that level. So at the time I was taking my exercise physiologist class for my senior year and my professor was like that class was, was tailored to how do you prescribe exercise to people that have various conditions. Mm -hmm. So of course we got to a point where we talked about how do you prescribe exercise to people with the different types of arthritis. And I was all over this section because finally it was like, Oh, I can, I can come up, come up with a workout journey specific for me. And then it'll be perfect. And I can start out slow and it's exactly what I need to do. So once I actually learned through that class, how to prescribe exercise for people with arthritis, that just made me want to get that certification as an exercise physiologist, because I know what it's like to walk into the gym and speak to a personal trainer and you tell them, Oh, well, this is what I have. And they look at you like, never heard of it. So this is what we're going to do. And let's move on. And you're like, okay, well, I can't do that. And then you're in so much pain, you flare up and then you can't work out anymore. Ultimately, it just makes you feel like you are defeated and you can't ever work out again when really that's not the case. So that definitely is what got me into personal training and getting that certification just because it was something personal. And I wanted to be that for other people as well. And then in terms of chiropractic, I've always loved the medical field. I've known mm-hmm. from a very young age that that's exactly what I wanted to be in because I was injured so many times <laughs> and I've been a patient so many times. So I know what it's like to have that connection with your doctors or physical therapists and everything in between. 
And so I jumped around a lot. At first, I wanted to be a physical therapist. Then I wanted to be a pediatric rheumatologist, of course. Yeah. Then I jumped to an ophthalmologist. I really was just jumping all over the place. And then it got to the point where I've always been business-minded and like the entrepreneur in me, I've always wanted to own my own business. And so someone came and spoke with us in, in one of my classes at Alabama. And she actually was a representative from Palmer Chiropractic College. And so she, I was just listening to her. And of course you hear about chiropractors and you think of just big men being chiropractors. Yes. You don't think of, you don't really see women as chiropractors. And I'm only 5'3". I am barely 125 pounds. So when I just thought of actually applying adjustments to people, I was like, there's no way. So yeah. I'm not even going <laughs> to think about that. And it was funny because my dad was telling me that one of his good friends, she had just become a chiropractor. And my first question was, well, how tall is she? <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, I mean, she's like 5'8". And I said, mm, yep, see, yeah. I'm not that tall. So there's no way. <laughs> but I t spoke with this lady when she came to my class. And I actually talked to her and asked her just about how small I am and stuff like that. And she was like, oh my goodness, there's so many chiropractors that are that size. And I was like, okay, you're just saying that because you want me to go to school there. But then she showed me like a list of all these chiropractors and their Instagrams and everything like that. And it honestly just became like the perfect little combination because we always, I always went to a chiropractor growing up. We have a family chiropractor they were close with. And so that was just something that we always did. And when I saw him a lot, when I, when I was first noticing my symptoms with RA and just balancing everything else, I really do believe that my symptoms weren't as severe at the time because I saw him so often and I was getting massages and I was getting a lot of soft tissue work and just other little rehab work that he was doing with me because I am positive and two antibodies. So I know that my RA is considered severe. It's definitely active. So I think I just became passionate about it because it's just, it's a natural side of healing and just having chiropractors work with other health profession professionals really just made me happy. And so I think mm -hmm. that it was just something that I became passionate about. And now being in school, I just love it more and more every single day. That's so great. I think especially when you've spent a lot of time, I'll say the way I think of myself before I chose occupational therapy was kind of flip-flopping. Mm -hmm. like but for me, it was like, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to be a speech therapist. I'm going to be a physical <laughs> therapist. I want to be an OT. Oh no, I'm going to go to law school. Of course, everyone goes to their face. Right. I want to go to law school. Like, yeah. When you're the kind of person who doesn't, you're, you're open to so many different ideas. When you finally make a choice, mm -hmm. I think you're, you're a little bit scared in the back of your mind. Like, is, am I going to be happy with this? Am I going to yeah. Or am I going to flip-flop again afterwards? Yeah. But actually, for me, at least similarly, I'm like, oh, when I went to school, I was like, I love this. And so it's such a feeling. Sorry, it's a long way, buddy. <laughs> for sure. No, I 100% I agree because when I started chiropractic school, I was like, are you sure you don't want to, you sure you didn't want to go to PT school or yeah. go to med school? But now that I'm in it, I'm just like, no, I absolutely made the right choice. And I'm so excited. I just can't wait to graduate and start practicing because I definitely do want to focus on sports rehabilitation. So I still get to focus on PT mm -hmm. and I also want to focus on autoimmune care. So I still get to focus on chronic illnesses and autoimmune illnesses. I just, I really feel like I'm just living my dream. So I'm excited. <laughs> oh, that's the best. That is the dream. The dream is to live your dream. Yeah. Yes. That's wonderful. <laughs> Are you currently working as a personal trainer on the side during Cairo school? Yes. So right now it's more, I have like set up workout 
plans for people because some people aren't in Houston where I'm located. So I actually do send stuff out to people. Um, that's one way. And then my best friends, I actually was training them recently before Corona happened. And mm -hmm. so that was a lot of fun. And so, yeah, so. That's great. And, you know, I want to give you a chance if you would like to use this platform to bust any myths around exercise for people with RA, because <laughs> I've seen on social media, there's a, and in, in person, there can be a lot of confusion. Like, should I exercise if I have pain? And, you know, of course, mm -hmm. medical disclaimer, you know, if you're having anything right. severe, you should of course go to your doctor and the medical team. But yeah, do you have any myths that you mm -hmm. like to educate people about? Or maybe even a better way to put it is just like just general tips and tricks. What kind of exercises have you found helpful for yourself? and for the people that you've worked with? Yeah, I think for sure, when you first start working out, you definitely want to do just using resistance bands because the biggest thing that you really want to build is you want a certain level of muscle just because, like I mentioned earlier, when you have more muscle, then that takes pressure off of your joints. And so I did run into that problem when I first started working out that I wanted to build muscle, but I was building it with heavy weights. So I had to start with resistance bands because I still was building muscle and I was able to actually minimize the amount of flares I was having. Because of course, when we work out, there are times where if you overuse a joint, it's not going to be happy with you and it's going to flare up. Mm -hmm. So I would say that it is a longer process for people with rheumatoid arthritis to start back working out again. But if you're gradually and slowly building muscle, then that helps you to sustain and have less flare ups and more workouts. I think, of course, one other thing that is very important with people with RA is that we should focus on cardio because RA definitely can affect the cardiovascular system. And so if your heart is not functioning the way it should be functioning and blood is not pumping the way it should be pumping, then that definitely leads to problems. And I know that not everyone can just go out there and start running because I definitely could not start running right away. Mm -hmm. There's definitely many ways you can do cardio. They're swimming. Elliptical is really nice. I loved biking or even using the arm bike. Just those different things that helps to get your heart rate up just a little bit is really, really good. And you definitely, if you're doing cardio, then you want to do 30 minutes of it. So that doesn't have to be 30 minutes in a row. It definitely, you can split it up between three sets of 10 minutes of something, or you can even split that into more and do six sets of five minutes of something. As long as you're getting 30 minutes in, then no matter how you get it, it is the exact same value. So a lot of people don't know that because people think, oh, 30 minutes and I have to jog for 30 minutes. I can't, I can't even jog for more than 10 minutes. And I will go ahead and put that on record because yeah. <laughs> I, I can't, there's, there's absolutely no, I would, I would just be tired. So mm -hmm, for me, it's mm -hmm. easier just to split it up and make it really smaller so I can keep going. Yeah. And I think that for me, at least that helps with fatigue as well, because if I do mm -hmm. 30 minutes all at once, I, I am per, me personally, I'm more likely to feel fatigued versus if I did like 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at lunch, 10 minutes in the evening, yeah. that spreads it out and it doesn't make me as likely to feel um, that kind of, sometimes you get a little bit of exhaustion if you've overdone it basically too much at once. Yes, for sure. For sure. And I think that scares some people away from exercise. They try it and then they maybe push themselves too far and they're like, oh, I can't mm -hmm. do it because it hurts. Mm -hmm. And so learning how to like almost be like a little detective with yourself. Like, okay, I tried, I tried 10 minutes and that was too much. So let me try five minutes. Yeah. Or let me try breaking it up. Like yeah. iterating. 
but I'm assuming that's how a personal trainer or a physical therapist, I mean, obviously OT could help as, as well with exercise programs. But I, I liked your point about, you know, separating, I think exercise, sometimes people think exercise is one thing. Like you said, it's either mm-hmm. exercise is just running or it's just cardio or it's just strength. But really for RA, it's really good to have a balance between building that muscle to support the joints, like you said, and getting cardio yeah. to sustain your heart. And that was, that's been hard for me because I used to be a runner and mm-hmm. yeah, and that was my favorite. And it's the easiest, right? Because for me, at least yeah. it's the easiest in terms of like logistics, you don't have to remember where's your exercise band, where's this, where's yeah. that. You just need to know where your running shoes are and then you just get out right. and run. You right. know, whereas I've had a harder time since I stopped running because of RA, it's harder to like remember to integrate it into my routine. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand because for me, I, I hate running. <laughs> it is something I, if I did, if I never had to do cardio again, I would never do cardio again. Wow. I would just rather lift weights. So one mm-hmm. thing that I do, that I do like to do instead of just running, because literally thinking about just getting, putting some shoes on and running for me is I'm crying. I don't want to, <laughs> but but I have thought of like, okay, how can I do my resistance exercises as well as cardio? So mm. I actually, I love to do body weight circuits. So oh, I'll do yeah. like jumping lunges for a little bit and then I'll take a 10 second break. Then I'll jump into, I don't know, maybe some crunches for 20 seconds and then I take a 10 second break. So that took where I had to tweak the time because maybe I couldn't do jumping squats for 20 seconds then, okay, I'll try and give it 10 seconds and then I'll just relax. But then I do these circuits and I hit my resistance and I hit my cardio both at the same time. And I'm not miserable just jogging, but I'm Mm -hmm. actually just moving. Then I just found a better combination. So if I could do circuits for the rest of my life, if I had to pick one thing, it'd probably be circuits. (laughs) <laughs> and I wonder if there's anywhere some people could see videos of you doing some of this. Do yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely have some. I think I have some circuits on my Instagram. I've been meaning to record more of them because I've realized that people prefer circuits because no one, look, I can't say no one, but many people don't like to run. <laughs> no, I know I'm, so, the, no, I'm in the minority that I used to love running. Yeah, no, it's very common yeah. to not like running. <laughs> it's most yeah, it's people just, don't like it. Uh, it's, yeah, I get bored. <laughs> but yeah no, no, but it's okay I respect it I used to call them I guess the, I think I would call the circuit training sometimes like obstacle course kind of thing not like a real lot like a mm-hmm. like one where you're like going into a hoop or whatever but where you're kind of like right. mixing and matching yeah like yeah some lunges and like I think that that is definitely good for attention like if you get bored with yeah. exercise my favorite running wasn't like long distance it was like intervals so like hills and I realized mm-hmm. that so my feet will hurt too much if I do like sustained running for now, but I can go up and down stairs. So that's what I try to do. I live yeah. in a tri-level home. And so I mm-hmm. has like two sets of stairs. And so I can, and then there's stairs to get to the entrance. So I can go up and down the stairs outside and then up and down the stairs yeah. inside. And that's so you get your heart rate really fast. At least if you're yeah. not in shape, like I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely, if I have to pick cardio, I do love to sprint because it's quick. My heart mm-hmm. rate jumps up. I'm out of breath for a quick second and then I'm fine. Then I can recover and then redo it. So I do love running hills. I love doing like 50 meter sprint, something that's short. Yeah. Or I love to like, if I have a big open field, like a football field, I will kind of a little bit above a jog for about a hundred yards. And then I get to the other end. I rest for about a minute, 30 seconds. Then I'll do that going back. And I'll try to do that at least mm-hmm. eight or 10 times. 
So for me, it's not just sustained running, but I still am getting my heart rate up and just doing something that's quick for me. Totally. I, there was someone, and I need to look this up. I'll have to find this. There was someone that tried to figure out what is the shortest workout you can do that has a really good effect. And it was, it was mm-hmm. one of these like bursts. It was like, get up from your desk and do like 30 seconds of like stair climbers or something, you know, and then like get back down and then like, anyway, yeah. I'll have to find it. But yeah, it's, I think a lot of times people think it, they think quantity over qual- quality for exercise, but yeah, if mm-hmm. you, you know, depending on what you're targeting, you could get more bang for your buck doing 10 minutes of, yeah, intervals or like, you know, jog the straights, sprint the curves or something versus, you know, 30 minutes of just slow jogging. So just depends what you're going for. (laughs) Yeah. I was just saying, yeah, it's definitely what you're going for. Just it literally, it's just whatever the the beauty of exercise is you can make it exactly what you want to make it fun. And so Mm -hmm. I think that if it's not fun, then then it makes it harder to do. So it's always about tweaking it to make it more fun and enjoyable. Yeah. I think dancing is the one I've been thinking a lot about lately because mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy dancing. I know not a lot of people like dancing in public, you know, or like dancing on mm-hmm. video like I do. I'm like, here, look at my dancing. Yeah. But that's, I, I always recommend that when people are like averse to traditional exercise, they find it intimidating, you know, saying, oh, yeah. just get up and just you know step and clap or step and maybe gentle clap yeah. or just step to the beat, you know? <laughs> And, you know, get your body moving however it will get you. For sure. I think that that's like my second, my dream growing up was to be a hip hop dancer. So I, at this point, I'm still like, Brandy, just take a hip hop class. Just take a hip hop class. But I'm like, I don't know. You're kind of old. So I don't know. But now that you brought that up, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take one. I'm going to take one. (laughs) Accountability partner. I'm going to. I have to now. Perfect. We know one of the few good things coming out of the pandemic is that there's more online classes than ever. So I'm sure you can find yeah. a good online hip hop class. I know that there's some good swing dancing classes or jazz, yeah. which is what I did in most of my 20s and early 30s. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. You're so right. You're not going to keep doing it unless you find it either fun or just intrinsically rewarding. Like it, you feel better after you do it. So you keep doing it, you know? Yeah, I think I'm going to I'm going to look around because me and my brother growing up we used to watch hip hop routines on um YouTube and we would learn them <laughs> in yeah. our rooms. Oh, so I think I could find some. I could find some. In general, since you've had this for a while, I always am trying to give encouragement and or advice to newly diagnosed patients because it's so common mm-hmm. get diagnosed to kind of try to talk to other people and say, you know, what do you, what, how did you wrap your mind around this over the years? Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you have any general nuggets of wisdom or support that you like to share with newly diagnosed patients? I think for sure. I wish someone had told me this when I was first diagnosed is that it's your journey is your journey. I like to think of it as track and think of it in the terms of you have to stay in your lane. If I am running my race and I look, if I'm in lane four and I look in lane five then I'm going to mess up. I'm, my race is not going to be, it's not going to go the way I want it to go. It's not going to go how it was trained because I was too focused on who was in lane five. And it's just, I feel like that just goes with so many other aspects. Like when I did gymnastics, if I was on the balance beam and someone was on floor exercise, I can't watch their routine while I'm on beam because then mm-hmm. my routine is not going to go as planned. And so I just really believe that we have to focus on understanding that our journey is so specific to who we are and what may work for you, for example, may not work for me or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I can't become down on myself or think something's wrong with me or 
discredit who I am because what works for you may not work for me. And so I just feel like we have to, when we're talking to new people and finding out what they do to control their RA, then we just have to take it with a a little bit of understanding. And then also to know that I'm so thankful that they shared that and they were open with me. But I also just need to think that if it doesn't work, <laughs> then it's completely okay. And even if something that you're doing that I want to try, then just try a little bit of it. I don't need to hear exactly what someone's doing and then just wake up the next morning and try to make my life match their life. And so mm-hmm. I guess just understanding that things are going to change and what may work for you three years ago may not work for you today. And that's okay. And it's just all about tweaking and changing and everything is so my RA is different from everyone else's RA. And I think that's pretty cool. We're all not the same people. And so it's pretty specific. That's, that's so beautiful. And I think it's, yeah, it's such a social media is such a blessing and a curse. Cause like I got diagnosed mm-hmm. in 2003 before social media existed, mm-hmm. like literally Facebook yeah. was being like created at that time. So I had no one that I talked to. I just only had my own journey. And like you're saying, like when you have all these other examples, it's so tempting to think, oh, well, they did that. And so I should do that. Or that they do that and they feel better. So I should, you know, mm-hmm. or feeling judged by yeah. the people who are like, well, why aren't you doing this? So, yeah, I used to for a little bit because I wasn't on social media when I first was diagnosed. I, I don't think I jumped on until I had already had it for almost five years. So I definitely didn't oh, wow. hop on social media. And so I had to just do what I wanted to do. And honestly, I think for me that the only thing I feel like I was missing from social media is just that support group just to actually get to talk mm-hmm. to people and know that there are other people out there. But I looking back at it, I appreciate that I did I had my journey controlled. Like I was not trying to tweak things. I wasn't going back and forth. I was just trying to figure out what I needed to do. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was a great experience. And I think like, even to this day, there are some times where people are on different diets, like a carnivore diet or vegan or just pescatarian. There's so many diets out there or Mm gluten-free, just there's so many. And if someone who is on that diet, a specific diet, asks me, hey, what diet are you on? And I tell them, oh, I'm not on a specific diet. I just try to minimize how much of quote unquote bad foods I eat, but I still eat what I want to eat. Then it's like, no, you need to do this, 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 this is why this is happening. This is why you flare up. This is blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I promise you it's okay. It's good. Because they're having a time where I didn't eat for four days in a row and I still had a flare up so I could eliminate every food in the in the world and I still would flare up so it's okay I'm okay (laughs) oh you are so speaking my language the diet (laughs) seems to be the one that people get really yeah fixated on yeah and it's hard for I think people to understand that because it worked for you doesn't mean it works for anyone else and just for me the fact that they're so these diets are so different should exactly. remind us of that, right? You're literally, you're like carnivore or vegan. Those are like, like opposite. Complete like, opposites. Yeah. And yeah. some of them work so great for one person and then some of them work great for the other. So that you get, that's, that's evidence that what works exactly. for one doesn't work for another. <laughs> exactly. And so, no, I'm not. Yep. It's crazy, right. but I'm happy. I'm happy. Those people who are on those diets that it works for them. Totally. I'm totally happy for them. And it makes me super happy that they have found a way to control their RA in a, in a great way. 
I just know it just does it doesn't control mine, so I'm <laughs> so it's okay. Yeah, not just diets, but also the nat. It's like natural cures or natural approaches versus yeah. Western medicine, as if there's no way to combine them. You know, you're like exactly. Oh. And I think that that's such a big thing when I tell people that like, oh, I'm in chiropractic school. They're like, but you take medication. Okay, we can have both. Like you yeah. can combine the two and optimize. If both is what's working for me, then that's perfect. That's what we need, and it's okay. Yeah, it's so. In- it's like throw the kitchen sink at it you know and then but if something isn't working don't keep doing it um, we could oh keep going gosh. i know we really good i think it's it's great that you're getting trained as a chiropractor and you have so you're able to speak to it from the sense of or from the perspective of a professional you know and mm-hmm. as a patient who's benefited mm-hmm. greatly from western medicine it's you tend to kind of think of it as the the, the rheumatology is like the western meds versus the alternative or Eastern, really, there are many that are like, Hey, you know, if, you know, acupuncture works for you, Mm -hmm. we want, like, it's like, everyone wants the patient to be happy, you know, exactly to be happy and feel good. Like, so if I tell my doctor that like, I, you know, yesterday I, you know, turned around three times and drew a rainbow and I felt good. They're going to be like, okay, good. Do that. Like, <laughs> good. Keep drawing. Exactly. Yeah, keep drawing and keep turning around in the circle. You know, it's like, they're not going to be like, no. Other thing is that because you have experience kind of, you have a lot of experience as a patient and also not just as a patient with RA, but also with your various injuries in general, mm-hmm. do you have any good advice for other patients to have a good relationship with their provider? Yeah, I definitely think that when you walk into a doctor's office, I 100% believe that doctors are so impressed if you have a list of questions for them. And it mm. gives it it gives them that sense that, okay, you are wanting to be in charge of your health. And that shows that you really want to feel better and live the life you want to live. So definitely having that list of questions when you go in a doctor's office helps to build a connection. And also, I believe that when you aren't, I feel like people think that when you do not have a doctor's appointment, then you can't ask your doctor a question. Absolutely not. Like you mm-hmm. definitely in between doctor's appointments, email your rheumatologist if something's going on. If you're not feeling right, email them because when you see them six months later, then they ask you, okay, well, I haven't heard anything from you. Is everything doing well? And you're like, well, all of this happened and it makes you frustrated. You're living in pain. You feel like that you're only seeing your doctor every six months. So that's the only time that you actually can feel better and get closer to your doctor. But if you're communicating with your doctor and just keeping things open and letting them know everything that's going on, even when you're not seeing them, that helps your doctor to know how you're doing. And it also helps to build y'all's connection. So when you do see each other, then y'all have been communicating. So they're able Mm -hmm. to remember exactly what has been going on in terms of your diagnosis. So I definitely just think communication, even when you don't see them, is so, so, so important. And even if you're just telling them, hey, I just want to let you know it's been a month and I've been taking my medication on time. I'm doing so great. Hope you're doing well. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Then that goes a long way because doctors are humans too. They are like your friends and they do want to make sure they want to check in on you and make sure you're doing well. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people feel scared. Oh, I don't want to bother them, you know, or something, but yeah, Yeah. that's their job and they can actually do their job better. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And they can, yeah. And they can only care for you better. And I promise you doctors are not going through all the school to only see you for 30 minutes. Yeah. And doctors aren't going to school to only see you for 30 minutes and just calling in a day. Like they really, they want to build connections with you and they want to give you the best health possible, best, best care possible. So you have to make sure that you're doing your part too, by talking to them like they're your friend. 
especially rheumatologists, because they, a lot of them have gone into it because they want that long-term relationship with mm-hmm. patients. That's yeah. what I've heard from some of them. You know, they don't want to just see you in and out in 20 minutes or see you, you know, when you're asleep, like yeah. an anesthesiologist, you know, they want to have a relationship. Right. So, you know, not that exactly, anesthesiologists yeah. don't care about talking to patients, but just meaning like, you know, of course, of course. <laughs> they've sele- yeah. They've selected it for some reasons having to do with it being seeing people over there. You know, I, I saw my, my first doctor who had, or my, my rheumatologist, who I still see now, she was just out of med school. And, you know, so I was like mm-hmm. 21 and she's probably like 30, four or something at the time. So I'm like, I'm hoping to see her mm-hmm. like until she retires. And that's like most of my life. Right. You know? Like I'm going to be yeah. Like yeah. 52 yeah. and she'll be 60, whatever. I can't do the math, but you know, so. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's, but I get it. Yeah. And I think just, that that's how, yeah. that's how me and my uh, pediatric rheumatologist were. We saw each other from 16. She even saw me through college. And mm. so once I had to transition from her, I literally like, she told me, she was like, we're friends. Like, we're still going to go get coffee together. We're going to, it's okay. We're still going to have our relationship. And I was like, I just love you, mom. You know, like it was was a great, it was such a great relationship. And so, yeah, they definitely want those connections. That's, That's so great. And, you know, thinking about interactions between providers and patients, you know, I also wanted to bring up, you know, you are a person of color in the U.S. Mm-hmm. receiving health care. And is there anything that you wanted to speak about regarding, you know, how race affects health care in general or your specific experiences? Yeah, I think for sure. Just, I know being in chiropractic school, we always, it's like every class, it starts out with the statistic of, four, of Black women are four times more likely to die with childbirth than any other race. And so we always talk about that statistic and we're always thinking of, okay, we're not delivering children, so to say, but what can we do to ensure that we are giving the same amount of care to all of our patients across the board? And Mm -hmm. so I definitely think of it as when I'm seeing my doctors, I mean, for the most part, I haven't had any issues with my doctors. I think with only with one, where I was telling them that I was in pain, that I wasn't necessarily taken seriously. And so my mom really, thankfully, my mom is, I just wish y'all could meet her because she's so strong. So she is sitting there and she's like, okay, look, I know my child is grown and she's telling you that she's in pain, but y'all aren't taking her seriously. So we're just going to go ahead and go then since y'all won't take her seriously. And I think that had my mom not been there, I probably would just been like, okay, maybe I'm really not in that much pain. It's fine. It's okay. I'm just going to go home or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then who knows what complications I could have had. And I feel like that that's what many people of color face with is that they start to feel invalidated and they start to think that, okay, here is someone who has been to school X amount of years. And they're saying Mm -hmm. that how I'm feeling is not anything or it's not indicative of something that's serious. So, okay, it's not, it's not something serious, but at the end of the day, you definitely know your body better than anyone else knows your body. And I thankfully just had a mom who was in the room who was like, no, y'all are going to listen to my daughter. So we're going to go. And Mm -hmm. she just made the change. And I do feel like that now, since the conversation has become more and it's been talked about more than I feel like it's opening people's eyes, but I have had people who have contacted me and asked me, 
hey, so these are the certain doctors that I want to see, or I need to see a list of doctors, like, because I'm in chiropractic school and I go to school near my house. So everyone who is out of town comes into school and they're asking me, hey, we need to see these doctors when we're in town. And I've had people who are people of color and they've said, do you know any specific doctors who look like us that we could go to? And if we could go to those specific doctors that look like us, then I would just feel more comfortable. And I feel like I would actually be heard and be a better experience. And so I honestly just hate that people have to honestly like seek out people that look like them to really feel like that they will be heard. I want everyone to just be heard from no matter what person they walk into or who's office into. But I do think that with that being what's going on right now, then every other race is going to notice, Hey y'all, we really need to change how we are because this is really becoming an issue. And until then I do feel like that people of color if you're on the fence of going into the medical field or you just don't know, or even in any other aspect of teaching or something Mm -hmm. of that nature, then just do it because there are little ones that look just like you that want to know that they can make it too and that they'll be safe. That's, that's so beautiful. And, you know, just like we were talking about earlier with social media being a good and a bad thing, you know, I think that people are Mm -hmm. hopefully nowadays exposed to more images of people who mm-hmm. like them as doctors. I follow a lot of accounts of doctors. And you know, I'm from Seattle where it's, there's a lot of Caucasian and Asian, but not yeah. as many African-American. I never had an African-American doctor until yeah. I was in California. And so, yeah. so, you know, being able to see those examples, like you said, is, is so, so important. And I think, yeah, like I'm going to share some statistics around, especially black women in pain that mm-hmm. your pain in black men in pain is are also but particularly women aren't their pain is not treated um as comprehensively as mm-hmm. white people and there's just like no excuse for that right, right I mean, yeah it's just really unfortunate so thank you for for sharing hopefully we can spread some awareness of course of course yeah and the rheumatology field is pretty caucasian but yeah hopefully that'll be changing <laughs> Yeah, my, I was, my pediatric rheumatologist, she was Hispanic. And so, I mean, that was definitely something that was different. I never, I've never had a a doctor that was Hispanic. Mm -hmm. So that was something that was new for me. And I think that with that experience, then there were certain things that, I don't know, like with her, it was kind of crazy because I would think I was so conditioned at that point that okay, Randy, you're not in pain, whatever level of pain you really are in, it's really like a negative six compared to what people are in. Oh. So with her, when I would, when she would ask me, okay, how's your pain levels? I'd be like, mm, I don't know, like a two. She would immediately go, okay, that's a six. So there's mm. always, she always knew that, okay, if Randy says a certain number, then it's higher than that. And she really, really is in pain. Or if Randy sends me a message of, hey, I'm not feeling too well, I am experiencing pain, then it's like code red, Randy really, really, really is in pain. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that really helped me because I knew that she was listening to me. And I also, it kind of helped me transition out of, okay, I need to, I'm in pain, I can say it, I need to stick Mm -hmm. behind my word and just be honest with the pain levels that I'm in. It's so common to under report your pain to your mm-hmm. doctor 
Yeah. And I, in my case, I know it's come from a fear of being called like a hypochondriac or being yeah. like a complainer. Have you ever had that same fear? Oh, okay. yeah. Because it's almost like no one can see our illness. So it's just like, Hey, right. what are y'all really complaining about? Cause we don't see something going on. <laughs> right. So totally. yeah. And like, I think for you having six years where you were told nothing else is wrong or it's just, you know, random aches and pains from being an athlete. Mm-hmm. I, I had about three, two to three years where I was told repeatedly, like to the point where I was really, um, anyway, it's about your story, but I, I had deconditioned a lot. Like I had gone yeah. from like 125 pounds to like barely a hundred pounds. Like, yeah. and I was like, this is not normal for me. Like, you're just, you're just stressed. You should go to a counselor. And I'm like, not against counseling at all. But I was like, the counseling like is that's... not going to like heal my body. Like, right. You know, <laughs> like, what that's is not going on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. anyway. So, but then it's like, then I finally, yeah. When you finally get that validation, you can also feel like it's still tenuous. You know, it's like, well, I don't yeah. want them to think I'm a bad patient or a, uh, yeah, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. The doctor patient relationship is a complicated one because there's a power dynamic, right? Yeah, for have- sure. And I think that that's really what made me fall more and more in love with chiropractic. It's just like, we, it's almost what, as a chiropractor, okay, people are walking to your office because they're in pain. You know that that's the reason why they're in your office. And so I've never had an issue with like being at school, because we have a clinic at school that we go to, there's never been a time where I said that I was in pain and they just dismissed it and were like, oh, no, it's fine, nothing's wrong. They still treated it. They made a way to treat it and they made sure to check up on it every week to see that it was getting better. So I don't know. I guess it's just everyone's evolving and I'm happy for that. And I just hope that, you know, once our little grand and great grands are running around here that they are validated from the start, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, healthcare has come a long way. I know like in terms of patient centered care and collaboration with patients versus even just, you know, I remember my mom was telling me when she was pregnant, she, and she's white, very, you know, we're very Caucasian family. (laughs) And so it wasn't having to do with race, but it was like at being a woman, being a woman in the seventies and, and early eighties. And she, they were just so dismissive and she would bring something up and they'd be like, you're fine. Or even like they, they chastised her for complaining yeah. too much when she was like in labor. I have to like hope that things like you said, for our grandkids, you know, we'll get better, but it won't get better until we're, you know, address some of this stuff. Yeah. So until we speak up yeah. about it for sure. Oh, well, this is so great. I want to be sensitive to, to your time, but is there anything else you wanted to share? I feel like we really touched every single aspect of my life. So that really made me happy. (laughs) Oh, well, you got engaged. Congratulations for that. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That was, oh, that was amazing. That yeah, that was a great, great time. I've been dating Matthew for four and a half years. And so it's been a long time. We started dating my freshman year of college. And funny, the crazy thing is the person that I was talking to, the guy I was speaking to right before meeting Matthew me and this guy were just having a conversation when we first met and I like just, it came in conversation and I said, oh yeah, I have rheumatoid arthritis. And he stopped mid conversation looked at me with a blank stare and he goes, oh, I'm definitely not dealing with that and left. I've never, I've never spoken with this man again. That was like the last, that was the last moment I ever talked to him and it was it. And then at first, of course I was devastated. Like I was so sad and I was like, this is what college is going to be like. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. Yada, yada, yada. Then came Matthew. So it's just kind of like now looking back at it, I think I handled those situations because people do walk out of our lives or they don't understand RA or our chronic illnesses. And so I guess I just try to, I had to definitely change my mindset of like, it's not me that they have a problem with. It's just their lack of wanting to understand 
And some people grow up and you have this idea in your head of what RA looks like, or you have this idea of what everything else in the world looks like. And so until, if someone's not going to ask you questions about how RA affects you, how it, how it looks in your life, then they don't know you. So if they turn away from you, it's not because of you. It's just because they don't want to understand. And so, so thankful for Matthew because he, the second I told him, he was like, oh, tell me more about it. And he's always wanted to learn more. He goes to my appointments with me. It was so funny. He met my pediatric rheumatologist and she was like, oh my gosh, you brought a guy to your appointment? And I said, yeah, this is Matthew. And then my adult rheumatologist, he met her and both of them loved him. And so he's just been very active. And so, yeah, I'm super excited. Guys, look like you're in a movie. It's so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, our best friends from college were there. And he's our our guy best friend. He's a photographer. And he took the pictures. And his girlfriend was there, who's my best friend. So crazy, because both of them will be in the wedding. So it's just like... I'm going to cry. That's so amazing. I know. I'm just so... Thank you. I'm just so excited. I get giddy every time I think about it. (laughs) I was really lucky that the people... I didn't have any experiences like that with people just thinking... Or at least if they thought that, they didn't tell me, you know? Yeah. But it's common. And I think a lot of times it's important to just acknowledge that probably going to happen or it's a potential thing that could happen to everyone, but it doesn't mean that no one is going to understand, right? You found the person. Yeah. And even when you find that person, also, I think for a while I battled with thinking that, oh, I was a burden and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, Matthew had to do this. He had to do this. And I think I really thought about it so much just like in the future if like planning like kids and stuff just thinking Mm -hmm. oh my goodness what if you have to take care of the kids and take care of me I think I really just got in my head and I just felt that I was such a burden to him and Mm -hmm. people would always tell me that like oh you're so lucky to have him you're so lucky you have somebody that wants to walk through this journey with you and with 100% I'm so blessed to have Matthew and I will say that a thousand times but I also had to just realize and tell myself that, hey, he's lucky to have me too. Like, exactly. I so much more than just my RA. Like, that is just a piece of me. There are definitely many, many, many more qualities that there I have to me that Matthew was attracted to and wanted in a long-term mm-hmm. partner. So I just feel like that's something that we have to understand as, as chronic illness patients and autoimmune patients, that we are valuable and people... Mm-hmm are blessed and lucky to have us in their lives just as much as we are to have them in ours. I think that is so perfect. And for me, what, what, what gets me about that men, the mentality of like thinking that, you know, oh, someone might be less than because of their illness. So like, I want to mm-hmm. say to those people, you do know that anyone at any time could develop something like this, right? Like just because you're 22 yeah. or 23, yeah. and you're 100% able-bodied. You could, you could develop anything like in five years, 10 years, exactly. 20 years, you could have a stroke, you could get MS, you could get rheumatoid arthritis. Like you're not, just because you don't right. have any There's, diagnosis, you know, it just boggles my mind. doesn't mean you're immune to it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. But it it's just, is mine hard. came a little early, which is yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, at least I know what I'm dealing with. And, you exactly. Know, I'm, I'm prepared. <laughs> yeah. Ex- I mean, because I, I feel really bad. There's a lot of women I've encountered now that I'm a mom 
And mm. I'm in my late thirties, I am connected to certain people who didn't get their diagnosis and they didn't develop RA until after having a baby. And then yeah. that can be like a whole other level of, oh, well, this person, yeah, but we save sickness and health when you get married, but exactly, people get worried yeah. that, well, I, this person is now quote unquote, like stuck with me. And it's like, yeah, yeah. But, right, but they could get hit by a car tomorrow. And then you're also going to be there for them because you love them. Like if a, exactly. we can do this, like exactly. we can do this people. <laughs> Literally, literally, that is just, yeah, that is such the thought process that I wish everyone just had. But no, it's a, I, I mean, I understand there have been people that have been in ugly relationships and people have been rude and no, that's that has true. happened that and that's definitely something that can't be discredited. But I just want those people to know that those people, they just, they were rude. They just, it wasn't a, a reflection of you. It was a reflection of themselves. So, yes. oh my gosh, yeah. your negative opinion of me says more about you than me. Exactly. Like, for me, it's like, you know, people are going to think what they're, they're going to think. And like, yeah, regardless say, of what you do, you could be so perfect. I mean, like think about, you know, actresses and movie stars or they're so beautiful and they're so good at all this stuff. And people are like, oh, like Tom Hanks, he's overrated. Or like, you know, Meryl <laughs> exactly. Streep, no talent. You're like, you know, exactly. no matter how perfect you are, someone will cut you down. So you have exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. You just have to, just have to love you for you. And that's it. Oh, that's, that's so, that is like the most perfect point to end on. Okay. I think that's just, that's just perfect. <laughs> like, now we're just going to go on our soaps, like Cheryl and Randy's soapbox hour. That would be fun. I know. I know. We could look, we could dive in because we were ready. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is so fun. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to check out my latest courses and resources on myarthritislife.net. This podcast is brought to you by the Beginner's Guide to Life with Rheumatoid Arthritis, a four-week online education and support program that I created from scratch to help people with inflammatory arthritis learn everything they need to know to navigate the social, emotional, physical, and logistical challenges of rheumatoid arthritis and related diseases. The next group is going to start in August 2020. Learn more at myarthritislife.net or bit.ly slash arthritis course, all in lowercase. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. So what's so funny now is, so so I'm 38, I think I'm a little older than you, because YouTube wasn't around when I was little. <laughs> like, uh-huh. so, um, so, but we would have to wait for on MTV for the ones to come out, like the ones mm-hmm. for them to show. People don't understand what it was like back then. <laughs> anyway, but there was these guys, this was like in the late 80s, early 90s, called Kid and Play, and they did uh-huh. a little dance where now people are doing it on TikTok, where you put, mm-hmm. like, you step away from each other, you step for, t- towards each other, and you hit, you do, you hit each other's legs in like a pattern, and then you mm-hmm. turn around, and it's like, people are doing it all now and I'm like I used to try to learn that from (laughs) that is so crazy yeah I'll have to okay we'll have to put this in the show notes this is very important for people (laughs) yeah 100% (laughs) thank you so much for listening to another episode of the arthritis life podcast this episode is brought to you by room to thrive an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident supported and connected in a matter of weeks You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it.
I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.